Chapter Seven of Book Two of Magna Moralia by Aristotle, translated by Saint George Stock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter Seven. After this, we must speak about pleasure, since our discussion is on the subject of happiness and all think that happiness is pleasure and living pleasantly or not without pleasure even those who feel disgust at pleasure and do not think that pleasure ought to be reckoned among goods at least add the absence of pain now to live without pain borders on pleasure therefore we must speak about pleasure not merely because other people think that we ought but because it is actually indispensable for us to do so. For, since our discussion is about happiness, and we have defined and declare happiness to be an exercise of virtue in a perfect life, and virtue has to do with pleasure and pain, it is indispensable to speak about pleasure, since happiness is not apart from pleasure. First, then, let us mention the reasons which some people give for thinking that one ought not to regard pleasure as part of good first they say that pleasure is a becoming and that a becoming is something incomplete but that the good never occupies the place of the incomplete secondly that there are some bad pleasures whereas the good is never to be found in badness again that it is found in all both in the bad man and in the good and in beasts wild and tame but the good is unmixed with the bad and not promiscuous and that pleasure is not the best thing whereas the good is the best thing and that it is an impediment to right action and what tends to impede right cannot be good first then we must address ourselves to the first argument that about becoming and must endeavour to dispose of this on the ground of its not being true for to begin with not every pleasure is a becoming for the pleasure which results from thought is not a becoming nor that which comes from hearing and seeing and smelling for it is not the effect of want as in the other cases for instance those of eating and drinking for these are the result of defect and excess owing to the fulfilment of a want or the relief of an excess which is why they are held to be a becoming now defect and excess are pain there is therefore pain wherever there is a becoming of pleasure but in the case of seeing and hearing and smelling there is no previous pain for no one in taking pleasure in seeing or smelling was affected with pain beforehand similarly in the case of thought one may speculate on something with pleasure without having felt any pain beforehand so that there may be a pleasure which is not a becoming if then pleasure as their argument maintained is not a good for this reason namely that it is a becoming but there is some pleasure which is not a becoming this pleasure may be good but generally no pleasure is a becoming for even the vulgar pleasures of eating and drinking are not becomings but there is a mistake on the part of those who say that these pleasures are becomings for they think that pleasure is a becoming because it ensues on the application of the remedy but it is not for there being a part of the soul with which we feel pleasure 
this part of the soul acts and moves simultaneously with the application of the things which we need and its movement and action are pleasure owing then to that part of the soul acting simultaneously with the application or owing to its activity they think that pleasure is a becoming from the application being visible but the part of the soul invisible it is like thinking that man is body because this is perceptible by sense while the soul is not but the soul also exists so it is also in this case for there is a part of the soul with which we feel pleasure which acts along with the application therefore no pleasure is a becoming and it is they say a conscious restoration to a normal state this however cannot be accepted either for there is pleasure without such restoration to a normal state for restoration means the filling up of what by nature is wanting but it is possible as we maintain to feel pleasure without any want for the want is pain and we say that there is pleasure without pain and prior to pain so that pleasure will not be a restoration in respect of a want for in such pleasures there is no want so that if the reason for thinking that pleasure is not a good was because it is a becoming and it is found that no pleasure is a becoming pleasure may be a good but next it is maintained that some pleasures are not good one can get a comprehensive view of this point as follows since we maintain that good is mentioned in all the categories in that of substance and relation and quantity and time and generally in all this much is plain at once every activity of good is attended with a certain pleasure so that since good is in all the categories pleasure also will be good so that since the goods and pleasure are in these and the pleasure that comes from the goods is pleasure every pleasure will be good at the same time it is manifest from this that pleasures differ in kind for the categories are different in which pleasure is for it is not as in the sciences for instance grammar or any other science whatever for if lampros possesses the science of grammar he as a grammarian will be disposed by this knowledge of grammar in the same way as any one else who possesses the science there will not be two different sciences of grammar that in lampros and that in ilius but in the case of pleasure it is not so for the pleasure which comes from drunkenness and that which comes from the commerce of the sexes do not dispose in the same way therefore pleasures would seem to differ in kind but another reason why pleasure was held by them not to be good was because some pleasures are bad but this sort of objection and this kind of judgment is not peculiar to pleasure but applies also to nature and knowledge for there is such a thing as a bad nature for example that of worms and beetles and of ignoble creatures generally but it does not follow that nature is a bad thing in the same way there are bad branches of knowledge for instance the mechanical nevertheless it does not follow that knowledge is a bad thing but both knowledge and nature are good in kind for just as one must not form one's views of the quality of a statuary from his failures and bad workmanship but from his successes so one must not judge of the quality of knowledge or nature or anything else from the bad but from the good 
in the same way pleasure is good in kind though there are bad pleasures of that we ourselves are as well aware as any one for since the natures of creatures differ in the way of bad and good for instance that of man is good but that of a wolf or some other beast bad and in like manner there is one nature of a horse another of a man an ass or a dog and since pleasure is a restoration of each to its own nature from that which runs counter to it it follows that this will be appropriate that the bad nature should have the bad pleasure for the thing is not the same for a horse and a man any more than for any of the rest but since their natures are different their pleasures also are different for pleasure as we saw is a restoration and the restoration they maintain restores to nature so that the restoration of the bad nature is bad and that of the good good but those who assert that pleasure is not a good thing are in much the same case as those who not knowing nectar think that the gods drink wine and that there is nothing more delightful than this but this is owing to their ignorance in much the same case i say are all those who assert that all pleasures are becoming and therefore not a good for owing to their not knowing other than bodily pleasures and seeing these to be becomings and not good for this reason they think in general that pleasure is not a good since then there are pleasures both of a nature undergoing restoration and also of one in its normal state for instance of the former the satisfactions which follow upon want but of a nature in its normal state the pleasures of sight hearing and so on the activities of the nature in its normal state will be better activities i say for the pleasures of both kinds are activities it is evident then that the pleasures of sight hearing and thought will be best since the bodily result from a satisfaction again this was also said by way of showing that it is not a good that what exists in all and is common to all is not good such an objection might seem to be appropriate in the case of a man who covets honour and is actuated by that feeling for the man who is covetous of honour is one who wishes to be sole possessor of something and by some such means to surpass all others so he thinks that if pleasure is to be a good it too must be something of this sort surely this is not so but on the contrary it would seem to be a good for this reason that all things aim at it for it is the nature of all things to aim at the good so that if all things aim at pleasure pleasure must be good in kind again it was denied that pleasure is a good on the ground that it is an impediment but their asserting it to be an impediment seems to arise from a wrong view of the matter for the pleasure that comes from the performance of the action is not an impediment if however it be a different pleasure it is an impediment for instance the pleasure of intoxication is an impediment to action but on this principle one kind of knowledge will be a hindrance to another for one cannot exercise both at once but why is knowledge not good if it produces the pleasure that comes from knowledge and will that pleasure be an impediment surely not but it will intensify the action for the pleasure is an incentive to increased action if it comes from the action itself for suppose the good man to be doing his acts of virtue and to be doing them pleasantly 
will he not much more exert himself in the action and if he acts with pleasure he will be virtuous but if he does the right with pain he is not virtuous for pain attends upon what is due to compulsion so that if one is pained at doing right he is acting under compulsion and he who acts under compulsion is not virtuous but indeed it is not possible to perform virtuous acts without pain or pleasure the middle state does not exist why so because virtue implies feeling and feeling pain or pleasure and there is nothing intermediate it is evident then that virtue is either attended with pain or with pleasure now if one does the right with pain he is not good so that virtue will not be attended with pain therefore with pleasure not only then is pleasure not an impediment but it is actually an incentive to action and generally virtue cannot be without the pleasure that comes from it there was another argument to the effect that there is no science which produces pleasure but this is not true either for cooks and garland makers and perfumers are engaged in the production of pleasure but indeed the other sciences do not have pleasure as end but the end is with pleasure and not without it there is therefore a science productive of pleasure again there was another argument that it is not the best thing but in that way and by the like reasoning you will annul the particular virtues for courage is not the best thing is it therefore not a good surely this is absurd and the same with the rest neither then is pleasure not a good simply because it is not the best thing to pass on a difficulty of the following kind might be raised in the case of the virtues i mean since the reason sometimes masters the passions for we say so in the case of the man of self-control and the passions again conversely master the reason as happens in the case of the incontinent since then the irrational part of the soul being vicious masters the reason which is well disposed for the incontinent man is of this kind the reason in like manner being in a bad condition will master the passions which are well disposed and have their proper virtue and if this should be the case the result will be a bad use of virtue for the reason being in a bad condition and using virtue will use it badly now such a result would appear paradoxical this difficulty it is easy to answer and resolve from what has been said by us before about virtue for we assert that then and only then is there virtue when reason being in a good condition is commensurate with the passions these possessing their proper virtue and the passions with the reason for in such a condition they will accord with one another so that reason should always ordain what is best and the passions being well disposed find it easy to carry out what reason ordains if then the reason be in a bad condition and the passions not there will not be virtue owing to the failure of reason for virtue consists in both so that it is not possible to make a bad use of virtue speaking generally it is not the case as the rest of the world think that reason is the principle and guide to virtue but rather the feelings for there must first be produced in us as indeed is the case an irrational impulse to the right and then later on reason must put the question to the vote and decide it 
one may see this from the case of children and those who live without reason for in these apart from reason there spring up first impulses of the feelings towards right and reason supervening later and giving its vote the same way is the cause of right action but if they have received from reason the principle that leads to right the feelings do not necessarily follow and consent thereto but often oppose it wherefore a right disposition of the feelings seems to be the principle that leads to virtue rather than the reason chapter eight since our discussion is about happiness it will be connected with the preceding to speak about good fortune for the majority think that the happy must be the fortunate life or not apart from good fortune and perhaps they are right in thinking so for it is not possible to be happy without external goods over which fortune is supreme therefore we must speak about good fortune saying generally who the fortunate man is and what are his surroundings and his sphere first then one may raise difficulties by having recourse to the following considerations one would not say of fortune that it is nature for what nature is the cause of that she produces for the most part or without exception but this is never the case with fortune her effects are disorderly and as it may chance this is why we speak of chance in the case of such things neither would one identify it with any mind or right reason for here more than ever is there order and uniformity but not chance wherefore where there is most of mind and reason there is least chance and where there is most chance there is their least mind can it be then that good fortune is a sort of care of the gods surely it will not be thought to be this for we suppose that if god is the disposer of such things he assigns both good and evil in accordance with desert whereas chance and the things of chance do really occur as it may chance but if we assign such a dispensation to god we shall be making him a bad judge or else unjust and this is not befitting to god and yet outside of these there is no other position which one can assign to fortune so that it is plain that it must be one of these now mind and reason and knowledge seem to be a thing utterly foreign to it and yet neither would the care and providence of god seem to be good fortune owing to its being found also in the bad though it is not likely that god would have a care of the bad nature then only is left as being most connected with good fortune and good fortune and fortune generally displays itself in things that are not in our own power and of which we are not masters nor able to bring them about for which reason no one calls the just man in so far as he is just fortunate nor yet the brave man nor any other virtuous character for these things are in our power to have or not to have but it is just in such things as follow that we shall speak more appropriately of good fortune for we do call the well-born fortunate and generally the man who possesses such kinds of goods whereof he is not himself the arbiter but all the same even there good fortune would not seem to be used in its strict sense but there are more meanings than one of the term fortunate 
for we call a man fortunate to whom it has befallen to achieve some good beyond his own calculation and him who has made a gain when he ought reasonably to have incurred a loss good fortune then consists in some good accruing beyond expectation and in escaping some evil that might reasonably have been expected but good fortune would seem to consist to a greater extent and more properly in the obtaining of good for the obtaining of good would seem to be in itself a piece of good fortune while the escaping evil is a piece of good fortune indirectly good fortune then is nature without reason for the fortunate man is he who apart from reason has an impulse to good things and obtains these and this comes from nature for there is in the soul by nature something of this sort whereby we move not under the guidance of reason towards things for which we are well fitted and if one were to ask a man in this state why does it please you to do so he would say i don't know except that it does please me being in the same condition as those who are inspired by religious frenzy for they also have an impulse to do something apart from reason we cannot call good fortune by a proper name of its own but we often say that it is a cause though cause is not a suitable name for it for a cause and its effect are different and what is called a cause contains no reference to an impulse which attains good in the way either of avoiding evil or on the other hand of obtaining good when not thinking to obtain it good fortune then in this sense is different from the former and this seems to result from the way in which things fall out and to be good fortune indirectly so that if this also is to be called good fortune at all events the other sort has a more intimate connection with happiness namely that wherein the principle of impulse towards the attainment of goods is in the man himself since then happiness cannot exist apart from external goods and these result from good fortune as we said just now it follows that it will work along with happiness so much then about good fortune chapter nine but since we have spoken about each of the virtues in detail it remains to sum up the particulars under one general statement there is a phrase then which is not badly used of the perfectly good man namely nobility and goodness for he is noble and good they say when a man is perfectly virtuous for it is in the case of virtue that they use the expression noble and good for instance they say that the just man is noble and good the brave man the temperate and generally in the case of the virtues since then we make a dual division and say that some things are noble and others good and that some goods are absolutely good and others not so calling noble such things as the virtues and the actions which spring from them and good office wealth glory honour and the like the noble and good man is he to whom the things that are absolutely good are good and the things that are absolutely noble are noble for such a man is noble and good but he to whom things absolutely good are not good is not noble and good any more than he would be thought to be in health to whom the things that are absolutely healthy are not healthy for if the accession of wealth and office were to hurt anybody they would not be choice-worthy but he will choose to have for himself such things as will not hurt him 
but he who is of such a nature as to shrink from having anything good would not seem to be noble and good but he for whom the possession of all good things is good and who is not spoiled by them as for instance by wealth and power such a man is noble and good chapter ten but about acting rightly in accordance with the virtues something indeed has been said but not enough for we said that it was acting in accordance with right reason but possibly one might be ignorant as to this very point and might ask what is acting in accordance with right reason and where is right reason to act then in accordance with right reason is when the irrational part of the soul does not prevent the rational from displaying its own activity for then only will the action be in accordance with right reason for seeing that in the soul we have a something worse and a something better and the worse is always for the sake of the better as in the case of body and soul the body is for the sake of the soul and then only shall we say that we have our body in a good state when its state is such as not to hinder but actually to help and take part in inciting towards the soul accomplishing its own work for the worse is for the sake of the better to aid the better in its work when then the passions do not hinder the mind from performing its own work then you will have what is done in accordance with right reason yes but perhaps some one may say in what state must the passions be so as not to act as a hindrance and when are they in this state for i do not know this sort of thing is not easy to put into words any more than the doctor finds it so but when he has given orders that barley gruel shall be administered to a patient in a fever and you say to him but how am i to know when he has a fever he replies when you see him pale but how am i to know when he is pale there the doctor loses patience with you well if you can't perceive that much yourself it's no good talking to you any more the same thing applies in like manner to all such subjects and the case is the same with regard to recognizing the passions for one must contribute something oneself towards the perception but perhaps one might raise the following sort of question also if i really know these things shall i then be happy for they think they must be whereas it is not so for none of the other sciences transmits to the learner the use and exercise but only the faculty so in this case also the knowing of these things does not transmit the use for happiness is an activity as we maintain but the faculty nor does happiness consist in the knowledge of what produces it but comes from the use of these means now the use and exercise of these it is not the business of this treatise to impart any more than any other science imparts the use of anything but only the faculty End of chapter ten of book two recording in memory of mitchell edwards